На трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. We return this week with a little bit more of a focused eye upon the RPL matters after European games took over in the last pod. But we do also have a spate of midweek Russian Cup fixtures just to quickly cover towards the end. And also the latest from Valeri Karpin's Russia squad. To cover all that, as usual, I'm joined by David Sanson. Good evening. And Richard Pike. Good evening, James. Good evening, David. How are everybody? Oh, I wish I could say I was good, but I think I would be lying to myself and probably all of the listeners to say that I am in a, a very enthusiastic mood after Spartak's loss in the main Moscow derby on Monday. Um, <laughs> it's fair to say it's another embarrassing step in what is a long line of embarrassing steps in Spartak's entire summer and season so far. Um, but we will put off and hold off for that game right now and we'll quickly jump first towards the other side of Moscow and one of the teams who were not involved in what's known as the main Moscow derby and that's Richard. You kept a close eye on Dinamo's game against Sochi the weekend. Yeah, I did. Um, and this was, if we'll get onto this a little bit later, but if if the Nishinovgorod defeat at home by Dinamo was, was totally unexpected, I actually thought this was unexpected too. I must admit, going into this game, I was I was fearing for for Dinamo because you know I know Sochi played them last year at the Fish down in um, southern Russia and uh, completely outplayed Dinamo. I think it was the last game before the winter break. I think. Um, so yeah, Dinamo probably were worried about this game going into it, especially off the back of a shock defeat at home to Nishni. But um, they played very well. Um, they showed um, good defensive resilience. Um, obviously, Sochi had more chances in the game, but I felt Dinamo were very, very good and held out um, really resiliently um, throughout. Um, they Sochi were getting chances, but they were a lot of the shots were very easy saves for Igor Leshuk, yeah. who came in for... Um, he came in for Anton Shunin, who was injured in goal. A lot of them were, a lot of the shots on target were, for what I recall, quite routine saves for for Leshuk to make. Um, and the goal was was really well, was really good as well. Um, I remember um, it was yeah, it was a play out from the back from Sochi. They found um, Kristin the Boer, and then obviously um, Simanski was right on the ball. Um, second that pass went into the ball, he was on him, pressing him, and he dispossessed him. Uh, really well, and then slid the ball into Zakarian, who took a few touches, few, few, a little run, a few touches, and then just smashed it into the bottom corner. Um, and I have to say, looking at the um, the incident where he dispossessed uh, Naboa, some referees might have given a, a foul on Naboa there, um, but it was a 50-50 call, I think. Um, so it went in Dinamo's favour. But it was good awareness from him to, to, to be on Naboa straight away and dispossess him like that. Uh, it doesn't often happen, given the Boa's brilliant consistency over the years. And then, yeah, um, Dinamo were, you know, they had a few shots in the... In, I think the first half was quite even for shots. Then second half, Sochi definitely had a lot more than Dinamo did. Um, they obviously had a goal. <laughs> Dinamo did have a, a second goal ruled out for offside, which was quite unfortunate. It was an offside in the build-up on... Um, I think it was on Chukavin, I think. The offside in the build-up. But obviously, they, they brought play back and they checked it with VAR and it was ruled out. It was correctly ruled out for offside as well. It was unfortunate, but it was definitely offside. 
Um, I just want to single out um, two players who were key in the victory, and that's the central defensive pairing of Fabian Balbuena and um, and um, Ivan Odets, who I thought both were excellent. Uh, Balbuena, I saw on um, on the RPL's Twitter after the game, won the Man of the Match award in that mat- in that game, and he he and Odets were brilliant at the back. There was a, there was a case for both of them being Man of the Match. Um, there was two instances which summed up how good they were on the day. There was one where uh, I think Sochi had just gotten down Dinamo's left flank, which was a bit of a weakness for them in the first first half. Sochi were getting quite a lot of joy down there, and I think I think it might have been Naboa who who was waiting in the box, and Sochi were just about to fire a cross in, and, and basically Naboa was just waiting there for the tapping at the near post. I think Odets just got his body in front of the the cross and defended it away. And then there was a second incident, I think it was three or four minutes early, later when I think the ball was just about to thread a pass through for Cassiera, the forward of Sochi. I think it was I think it was Cassiera. And then um, Balbuena did one of those ones where they're not at full stretch defenders, but they're, they're still on their feet and they just stick the other leg out and just calmly stop the ball and then he distributed it towards the defence. And it was two good, calm, composed defending like that, which... You know, emphasised how good a game both of them had. Um, he did switch it up a little bit. Schwartz. He brought in. Um, he brought in. Um, Vyacheslav Gryov up front, and you know, Gryov's nothing amazing, but he's a decent little player to keep around at Dynamo. I think. I don't think he's ever going to develop into a regular starter, but he's he's a, a cheap squad option to keep around. You know, he, he's good at pressing off the ball, um, and I thought he he did a, he had a decent game. They brought Chukavin on later on in the match in the second half. And yeah, it was um, a surprise win, um, and they atoned for the disappointing loss the previous week to Nishni, and um, they currently lie second in the table, um, with you know um, Locomotive's draw against Ural, which surprised me, uh, and uh, Rubin's result against Zenit, which we'll get onto a little bit later on. So yeah, Dinamo are now second in the table, um, but they could have only been just one point behind Zenit had they not had that awful loss last week at Nishni, and. Um, I mean, I still think that that's an issue. What they do need to sort Dinamo because I'll just briefly go on to that because they had so many chances in that first half against Nishni, and you know they, yeah. they wasted so many chances in the first half. And uh, then you know I think from a Chukavin miss halfway through the second half, the match turned, and once Nishni scored scored um, the equalising goal, um, the match completely turned, and then Dinamo lost it late on. So, but yeah, it was a good good result to atone for that disappointing loss against Nishni and. Um, Big game at the weekend coming up against um, Rubin. I think three of Dinamo's next four games are at home, so this is a chance now to, if they can, keep the pressure up. Pressure up in that in that fight for the European places. And I mean, who knows if if you are gonna, if anyone's gonna kind of catch Zenit out now, this is the time because this is when they're gonna be embroiled in the Champions League campaign. So, um, but yeah, it was good to see uh, an atonement for the. Um, the loss against Nishni last week. Uh, Sochi obviously will be disappointed to lose the game, but I didn't think they played particularly badly. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll bounce back from this. But yeah, good win from Dinamo, that I think. Good way to bounce back from last week's shock loss to Nishni. I think I'm a little bit worried, like you, that although Dinamo played well <clears throat> and have largely by for most of the season now, of course, as you can tell by their lofty position near the top of the table, and despite the fact that some of the youngsters up top, like Zahoyan, who's got three goals, Gruliov, yeah, the new new signing Makarov from Rubin, and Chukavin are all talented players, some of which very young and can only get better and are exciting prospects. I do feel like 
Dynamo's attack sometimes is a little bit toothless for the level that they're trying to operate at. Um, it's not necessarily a criticism for them. It's just more so that you can tell that a lot of the players aren't quite ready yet and they are still in transition. Uh, if you look at their highest goal scorer as the current highest goal scorer in the side, considering they are second, is only Daniel Fomin with four goals, three of which have been penalties and two of them came in the same game against Ufa. Would you like to see a little bit more ruthlessness in attack from Dinamo, Richard? Yeah, um, I think the Dinamo, that's that's been the issue. Yeah, just not not quite being, um, just not quite taking chances. You know, they've been creating plenty of chances, just not quite scoring enough of them. That's that's to me been the only issue because um, you know they're quite decent in defense. They have the odd bad game in defense, but you know by and large they are relatively solid defensively. I think the signing of Balbuena has been good. You know, he made that bad mistake against Ufa early in the season, but by and large, yeah. he's been a very good signing for them. Um, I think they beat they beat Real Betis to his to his transfer, which was quite a coup in my opinion, considering Betis qualified for Europe in La Liga last season. And apparently a few West Ham fans were disappointed to see Balbuena go on on some um, websites I was reading, you know, when they post the clips of what they write on Twitter, they were saying, oh, they were disappointed to see Balbuena go. So, because um, he would have been a good backup to keep, but yeah, that, I think that was a coup for Dinamo. But yeah, it's just up front. It seems to be yeah, just need to take some more chances. I, I think the issue really is they probably do need another striker, just someone a little bit more experienced to help out these young these young guys up front mm-hmm. for them. I mean, they are doing a fantastic job. Um, the likes of Gruyoff, Chukarvin, Zakayan, considering their ages. But yeah, I think another attacking player would have been good. I mean, they did try in the window for a few, but obviously. They were quoted up on the foreign limit. I mean, really, the, the question you have to ask yourself at Dinamo at the minute with their attack is they are definitely carrying, you know, Clinton and G's had a mixed spell at Dinamo, I think, but the player that they are definitely carrying is Sylvester Boone. And I think hopefully in the January yeah. transfer window, I think it's time they, they moved Sylvester Boone on. Um, you know, it's just not, it's not worked out. And, you know, as we've, when you're working on such a restrictive foreign limit, you definitely need to, um, you definitely need to make sure that you're getting best value for money out of your eight foreign players. And that's the one slot at the moment. Uh, Sylvester ruined the one foreign slot at the moment where they're not getting best use out of it because it just hasn't worked out. I mean, I think he will be a good signing for a team lower down the table, but I think it is time for him to, to move on now and for Dinamo to move him on. So hopefully, fingers crossed, they could bring in somebody in January um, and, and move Sylvester Boone on. But yeah, the, the squad's coming together okay. But yeah, I just think that that's all they need to do. The initiative game was a perfect example of, you know, they just need to be a bit more ruthless in front of goal and take chances because I was, I was fearing when when they when they missed those chances at one 0 that this would come back to haunt them in the initiative game, and so it proved. But but other than that, yeah, I think um, it's been good so far. Could be better up front, but hopefully the January window gives them a chance to remedy that if they can move Sylvester Boone on. I think. Yeah, I think Egg Boone's just got to that stage in his career now where he's on the wrong side of 30 and in a team like Dinamo, he's not the star man and he, he really just fades into the into the behind the scenes. He's only, he hasn't started whatsoever this season and he's behind the pecking order now behind Makarov, Gruliov, Zaharian, uh, NG, Chukarvin and even Sebastian Shemansky. There's one stage of the season where uh, Schwarz actually moved him up to a wide position rather than turning to Igboon, which says a lot about his future. It's just, I agree. I think Balboin has been largely very good, uh, of course, apart from that mistake against Ufa. But it's on the other hand, other side of that, it's a little bit of a shame to see 
Albuena's arrival push Yevgenyev out of the starting lineup. I thought he was one of the most impressive young Russian defenders and defenders in general last season in the Premier League. Um, but I can see why Schwartz wants Odets and Balbuena in the more experienced duo, considering there's quite a lot of youth riven throughout the side. David, are you a little bit um, annoyed to not see more of Yevgenyev? Because I know you were a particularly big fan of his last year. Well, just on Yevgenyev, from what I know or understand, my, my understanding of what I've read um, is that he's... He's got. He's had some contractual disputes um, with Dinamo. Uh, as let's be honest, it's a trend with the young Russian players to have contractual disputes with their clubs. Um, and I th- there was a there was a period where, on Dinamo's Instagram page, on their stories, they were blocking out his face. Uh, what? Yeah, honestly, uh, it was all. And whenever they <laughs> sort of referenced it, they they did it in Russian, and it was they sort of poked fun at it and. But from what I could tell, it was like due to this like contractual thing, what? and obviously then he wasn't playing at all. So I was like, my I sort of I sort of inferred from that that he was he was out of the team for those reasons. Um, you know, maybe that's that's just me jumping to, to conclusions. But um, those two things, the the Instagram thing is definitely happening, and I'm sure I'd read that there was some sort of dispute going on. Um, but obviously, he did start um, in the cup, which, you know, granted, it's just the cup. Um, and he actually, I'm sure he came on in a game recently in the league. Um, but I can't remember. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame. I think he you know, he's up there with, with Audets and, and could slot in nicely. You know, he's really good on the ball. He had a very good season last year. So um, yeah, it'd be nice to, to get him back in the team. But we'll see, uh, but whether that contract stuff is true or not, I don't know. Does nobody in the media side of Dinamo realise the bitter irony in the team that was literally founded by Lavrenti Beria, the head of the NKVD at the time, um, well, Ogpe at the time, is literally crossing out images of their employees? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't like the you know when you see someone's face getting blurred to protect their identity. They were like just like covering him with like an emoji face or something like that. Um, it, it, it was odd and I was like, I couldn't, or they weren't even referring to him by name sometimes <laughs> either. Um, it was like, from what, it, there was a one point where I thought it, it was in his contract that they couldn't put him on Instagram or something because it was so weird that they were having him there but just not referring to him by name or identity in any way. Oh, Christ. Um, yeah, very. it was odd. It was very odd. Um and he still is not one of the players who feel like their Instagram stories are like one of the best of all the clubs on match days uh, in the Premier League. And yeah, still, he just never seems to pop up at all. <laughs> so I will, um, I will now move away from 1938 and Dinamo and quickly mention a little bit more about Sochi because we did focus more so on Dinamo there, but I think it was warranted considering 1-0 away to Sochi is no mean feat whatsoever and getting second in the league as well, but this year's I've seen, especially of late, a little bit of a book of a trend between in Sochi's play, where they are far more on the front foot. Obviously, in the Dynamo game, they had like seventy percent possession against Ufa, as as you would expect, sixty four percent. Um, even against Spartak, Spartak themselves only had fifty odd, which is quite quite low for a Spartak home game. Um, over sixty percent against Kriliev, over sixty percent 
in some of the games earlier on in the season as well without uh, exasperating the list. And it's good to see them developing a different style to what we've seen last year. Obviously, they're so effective at that. Um, it's kind of natural for a side as they do move up the table to start to dominate more. And it's it's good to see Sochi themselves developing as a club in that matter. I know we and others have opinions on whether Sochi should be Sochi or Dinamo St. Petersburg still, but you can't change the past and they are here to stay. So as a club and for their fans, it's good to see them developing the game. Um, Matteo Casera, obviously he scored on his debut last week in the 3-1 win over Ufa. Um, Richard, last word on, on them. How do you think Casera played in this in this game? Was was he quite quiet or nullified maybe by Dinamo's strong defending? Yeah, I think I think um, Balbuena and Ordets did a good job on him. Um, they were probably Dinamo's two best players for the whole of the game. Um, but yeah, judging on what I saw in that game and I didn't see his, his debut for Sochi where he scored already. I'm getting the impression that this is a, a, a quite a big upgrade on um, on Jugansic. Um and I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see. I'm going to definitely catch some um, some Sochi games going forward because I certainly think this is an upgrade on Jugansic in the shape of Cassiero and I, I really hope this is the, the the final piece that they need up front because the rest of the team is really solid. You know, I think, I think I've been impressed with the defense throughout the season, you know, Rodrigo, Barach, both good signings. I'd like to see them integrate Angban gradually over time. I think he will come good. I think, you know, what they're good at doing Sochi is they give signings a little bit of time to adapt. I think under um, Fedotov, Fedotov does, you know, brings new signings in quite slowly. But I think in Cassiero's case, they're going to have to speed that one up, and and they are doing because I definitely think they needed a striker. Um, but yeah, overall, I think he was he was nullified quite well by Balbuena and Ordets. But I didn't think I didn't think he had a terrible game though. I thought he did all right. Um, but yeah, I'm fascinated to see what he can do. I definitely hope he will be the the missing piece in the jigsaw, as, as I just mentioned. So looking forward to seeing him going forward. So to move on to the. From second in the table to top of the table, uh, Zenit defeated Rubian 3-1 away from home at the weekend. That's only one win in five now for Rubin, David. What is at the weekend? I know it was Zenit, but it was almost arguably full-strength side for Rubin. Um, with Drea, Haksabanovic, Kvica and Despot all, all starting up top, obviously. Are you a little bit worried about their form or... No. <laughs> well, that, that five games, you know, it's the first, what, two or where, however many games there is in there were played without. So, 1 1 against. 1 1 Krillia, 1 1 Rubin, uh, Kimki. Yep. 2 0 loss away to Krasadar. Yep. Then slaughtered Ural and then lost to Zenit. Yeah, so those, those first three games there is prior to the, when the, uh, the international break where we were lacking. Despot and Kretzkelia, both that injured. Um, so we we were playing this ragtag sort of team without a striker at front because we were using Kostukov in all the games. Um, yeah. it, it, it wasn't pretty. And we, we still had Begic playing at the time as well in most of those games. Um, Jevtic was also still around. Um, so the squad changed a lot then after the winter break. You know, when we put the team out against Doral, that was, you know, essentially full strength and then the team didn't change for the Zenit game. So, uh, you know, that those three games where we went without a win, the two draws and and the loss, um, you know, I, I put that as a little blip. It's like we had the same thing last season when Despot was out and it's, it's 
it's frustrating to be reliant so heavily reliant on a player or two to, to make you play that well um, or you know to make such a difference to your results but uh, without those two guys it's, it was uh, it was a struggle that's for sure you know Hakshabanovic isn't as direct as, as, as Kvitra is you know he's he's not as fast he's not he's not fast at all which is um, slightly disappointing I've seen him lose foot races to players who I consider to be slow on a couple of occasions now um, so so that that role that obviously he's coming but he's he's not going to fill that creature role that given that directness and that pace that that he offers he's going to just offer something slightly different so um so yeah there and then obviously you know this week we, we played Zenit um, and Zenit were just very very good um, yeah Really good. Malcolm, Claudinho, and, and Zuba played really well together. Um, you know, Ru- Ruben had gripes with the referee, uh, and I think there was three or four decisions where they quite rightly had had gripes, uh, but ultimately it, it didn't matter. You know, they it wouldn't have probably changed the outcome any any much. Um, you know, they then it went out. We we had a good first ten minutes, um, and that was really about it um, for the first half, certainly. Zenit scored two very quick goals. The second goal was the killer because it came very quickly after the first, and it was it was a mistake, and it was actually Abelgor who made the mistake. Um, ball came across to him, and he, he he's very he is very one footed. That's uh, probably one of his weakest aspects is that he's he's very predominantly one footed on his left foot, and the ball came across, and he he sort of ch- you could tell he was changing his mind on what to do. He was going to just hoof it. And he tried to hit it with the outside of his boot to his left while the ball was bouncing and just mistimed it completely and missed it. Zinni then picked up the ball and three passes later, it was in the back of the net um, for that second goal. Um, and then from, from then on, it was, you know, the, de- the game was dead. Um, the third goal shouldn't have stood, but came before half time. Um, Zinni won the ball back on the edge of their inbox via a handball. Uh, and then, you know, second half, they, we came out better, but, um, you know, the game was already over. We scored, but it was it was an own goal. We, we didn't really have any shots of our own. Um, yeah, you know, Ruben's game plan last season, when you think back, you know, last season we, we beat Zenit twice, home and away, and on both occasions it was defend hard, score any chance you may well get, because uh, yeah. you're not, we're not going to get many. Because that's how we we've set up against these big teams. Um, and you know, and, and in this case, conceded. We conceded early. We made we made individual mistakes. Then on the second goal, um, and then Uremovic went off injured, which was a blow. Um, because that's that's a position where we've got no literally no depth other than Talby and Uremovic, pretty much. So uh, we had to bring on Nizhigorodov. Yeah. To play against Artem Zuba, which is never a nice debut to have. <laughs> um, in fairness, he he did okay. Um, the third goal wasn't you know it wasn't his his fault. It was the counter attack after the the turnover with the handball. Slutsky uh, got sent off again by Sergey Ivanov. Uh, he he then, I mean he was he was apoplectic. Um, and after the game, he said that in his whole career he'd never been sent off. And then last season he was sent off once, and this season he was sent off once, and it was by the same referee on each occasion. Um, so, and last season, you know, they 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 weren't happy with him. Uh, you may remember they they 
uh, in their Christmas video, he ate a biscuit, which was a ref- the shape of the referee, and it was Ivanov's name on the back. Um, <laughs> you know, they said, you know, someone asked them, were you going to complain about him? And they said, no, um, because there was nothing, you know, because um, he didn't, you know, I don't know. They, they said they, they had no right to complain, even though they didn't want him to referee the games anymore, basically. Um, but there, there was very little they could do. That they would just recommend that he be removed. I think they also did the same last year. But um, you know, moving away from from Rubin, um, who I think will will get back on on their horse um, as long as Rovic, uh, he he's just got a, as far as I'm aware, just some back a back muscle strain. So hopefully nothing too bad. Um, but Zenit, yeah, Zenit were very good. Those three linked up well. Zuba got his first goals of the season. As Moon was out with a knock, and I was before game, I thought, "Oh, this is this is not so bad." But um, yeah, they they were very effective going forward. Um, Sutor Mien's been playing at right back and doing very well. Um, the Russian Cafu, as as a uh, Hanu and Artem have dubbed him over the over the years. Um, yeah, it, it was just one of those games where the game plan for Rubin um, fell apart very early on, and uh, yeah. It, it was a struggle, but taking no credit away from Zenit, who who played some very good stuff and and won comfortably in the end. I remember saying at the end of the window that I was a little bit worried about Rubin's lack of depth in defence, as you've as oh, you yeah. just pointed out. Um, obviously, last game, uh, Young Savitsky stepping was it Savitsky? No, Estimashukov. Sorry, no, Ural in the Ural game, Surikov had to come on. Due to the injury to Samoshnikov, and then as you just said, Nizhigorodov had to come injured. on. I think he just came on because we were falling uh, up. No, Samoshnikov picked up an injury, and then Surikov came on, and Zotov moved over, wasn't it? Oh, I can't. <laughs> um, I thought he just gave him gave him a run out. No, he like yeah, well, Samoshnikov limped off anyway, but yeah, four 0 up. It's it's. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe it's points, points, but yeah, um, never mind. But yeah, that's two games now where you've had to bring in youngsters in non-ideal situations. I mean, obviously 4-0 against Sural is point is it's all gravy, but in the Zenit game, I think it was two minutes after Nezhogorodov came on, Zuba, um, when Zuba got the assist for Claudinho's goal, he he just it, it, it's not I don't want to blame Nezhogorodov because it's literally man versus boy in that situation. He he just rose so much higher than him and it was quite Oh obvious. yeah, I remember which one it was, yeah. Yeah, and it was it's nothing against the youngster because ninety nine percent of defenders in Russia would still lose the aerial duel, but it was a little bit unfortunate that he was brought on in that situation because it was a little bit of a baptism of fire for him. Uh, on Zenit, obviously, it's a big question mark over how you do it when Asmoon's fit, but this system they have of Barrios being the ball carrier in a three. Allowing Sutomin freedom on the right to be a wing back, which is probably his best role. Uh, very balanced midfield, and then Zuba is the focal point with Claudinho and Malcolm with completely free roles off him. Is a really nicely balanced system that Zenit have. I can't remember last time that Semak played a back three for Zenit. It was presumably uh, in the Champions League and the Dortmund game, presumably along that sort of lines, but. They just look really balanced. Um, I don't know how you fit Asmoon in because Asmoon obviously domestically is far too good to leave out. But it's 
potentially promising signs that they can hopefully be more solid and not make a mistake further in their Champions League group games because they were literally one mistake away from a, a nil-nil draw in, in London, which is a no mean feat against the Champions of Europe. But they, they, they say against Rubin, they just look really nicely balanced and they criticised Zuba at the start, towards the start of the season, worrying, uh, is he over the hill? Um, we'll get onto it more in a second, but obviously he's turned down the, the Russia uh, call-up because of fitness issues. So is it time for him to retire and maybe focus on Zenit to get the best out of his league, uh, his club team, maybe? But he didn't look like a man on in the twilight of his career whatsoever and and, and uh, at the weekend, I thought he was he was absolutely brilliant. He obviously got two goals and the assist, and was just all over Rubens. Granted, quite depleted backline. But we'll move on now to the probably the biggest game of the weekend. Um, I'm not going to dwell on it too much myself because there's only so much that I can rant about with Spartak, to be frank. And these issues haven't just popped up in the last week since we last podcasted because they've probably been there for about 15 years now. But Richards, you kept a close eye yourself as well on Spartak versus Siska on Monday. Can't say yeah. I was surprised too much. <laughs> yeah, I can I can do the ranting for you. Don't, don't worry, James. Um, <laughs> we've um, we're so used to it over the years, aren't we? Um, yeah, um, I have to say, even though this was the game of the week on paper in Russia before the you know when the fixtures were announced for each week, and this was this was the game of the week, the big Russian, big Moscow derby. Um, and I have to say, yeah, it it, it definitely. Probably did not live up to the billing overall. The game, I thought, um, the weather conditions were really poor. Um, I think it was just literally bouncing it down with rain, so that obviously might not have helped. But I think it's symptomatic at the minute this, this Siska Spartak game of where these two sides are right now. You know, um, Siska in transition at the moment after you know a 10, 15 year period of you know success and stability and now you know encountering some some rocky choppy waters um but you know Spartak yeah they're just they're in a complete mess um you know the the, the goal to win it as well came from you know uh, a Maximiliano call for a mistake in the box you know he, he didn't quite get his clearance light sliced it straight to Zabalotny who just smashed it home um and yeah I don't think it was it was not a great game um and Siska probably did edge it but I don't think it was a particularly brilliant game. Um, and yeah, more of the same issues as what we were discussing on the last pod, I think, with Spartak. You know, um, this is only this is only actually the second time this season in the league that I've watched Spartak under Vittorio. And, you know, I can only watch the last 10 minutes of the uh, Lega oh, game due you. to work. <laughs> <laughs> due to the Lega game, due to work. Yeah, they haven't really provided us with <laughs> a huge amount of enthusiasm to actually watch them based on <laughs> their recent performances. But, um but yeah, I watched it, and yeah, just more, just more or less the same analysis as what we can give the Legia game. Really, you know, they were taking pot shots from distance, um, and you know, these were wildly over the bar. You know, nowhere near the target, not really testing Akinfeyev at all in goal. And yeah, like we were saying on last week's pod, it, it's just so flat at the minute under Vittorio, and it, it, it's staggering how it's dropped so much. I mean, don't get me wrong, I I thought when they were replacing Tedesco after all the good work that he did. That there might be a bumper. There might be some. There might have been some bumps in the in the road early doors. You know, there often is when a new manager comes to a club. But to see just after about what 10, 10 games into his tenure now, 
to still, well, maybe actually more, I think it's 12, 13 if you include the Champions League um, qualifiers, to see, yeah, like 11, 12 games into a manager's tenure, still just flat performances, not offering much at all. It's obviously not worked out. And he, he's definitely under pressure. Now, you can, you can tell, I think, like we were saying on last week's pod, it's definitely a matter of, you know, when, not if, Vittoria will will uh, depart Spartak. Um, I think there's all that that stuff that's come out in the week, hasn't there, about his contract, how, you know, apparently if he's dismissed around, isn't it, af- isn't it November or afterwards, Spartak <laughs> yeah. would have to pay less compensation. Yeah. Oh, so Jesus. it's coming. I think already when reports like that are coming out, you know, and the results aren't good on the pitch, it, it really is. It, it's only a matter of time. Um and yeah, the whole thing—it's like we're like a broken record with Spartak, aren't we? It's just nothing's happened. And and even and I've got to say, no one observation I will make on it is, I'm beginning to even wonder now with Tedesco. You know, obviously he left due to you know family reasons were given as the reason for leaving, and it probably might well be the case that it was that. But I'm also beginning to wonder if all this what has come out behind the scenes in recent weeks with the Telegram thing with Popoff with. Um, mm. Silico, uh, Zarema, I'm beginning to wonder whether this has had an impact on it too and all that was going on behind the scenes last season. I've got to say, if that is true, credit to Tedesco for working his way through it because he. the one thing we, we definitely all agreed on when he was at Spartak was his professionalism was absolutely brilliant. You know, he really galvanised that team. There was a real togetherness about it and it was kudos to him, of, you know, of working at Spartak because it, it is a madhouse um, and... Yeah, it, it, it's just such a shame that he couldn't have had another season at Spartak and maybe even tried to push. Because like I say, last season's finished second in the league was, was really good and his first full season there. And I would have loved to have seen him have a second full season and push on to try and, you know, maybe even challenge for the title, maybe even win it. But it, it's just gone so flat. You know, Jordan Larson's poor form continues. You know, he was hauled off partway through the second half. There's, there's literally just very little... Barring George Jakia at the moment, there's such little positivity out of he He's the one consistent good performer there. Everybody else has dropped off from last season. There's no Alex Kral now in midfield. Yeah, it's it's really just tanked so much since since Tedesco left the club in the summer and Vittoria took over. And, and yeah, Vittoria's definitely under pressure, especially when nothing is happening and the nothing, yeah. you know, he's getting nothing, no tunes out of the team. Um, yeah, it's a matter of if, if, not when he get he goes. Yeah, it's a matter of when, not if he goes. It's 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 only a matter of time, I think. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, he's everything you said. I think your word you used was perfect. Was galvanized, and how Tedesco obviously galvanized the side to ignore all the on off the pitch bullshit that was happening. But as I think I've said previously on the pod, Spartak managers don't necessarily need to be the most have the highest tactical acumen in the world it would be obviously it, it helps but because of the size of the club because of the disparate voices within the club and influencing the club and in particular influencing Fadoon from behind the scenes what Spartak manager needs to be arguably foremost first and foremost is charismatic be it in the Tedesco way where he his his infectious personality, whether you even love him or hate him, there were some people who absolutely despised him, but he was the sort of man, when he was in the room, he'd let you know it, and he was just perfect for that job. Before him, Carrera, very much a commanding presence. 
Oleg Romantsev, arguably Spartak's most successful manager ever, apart from maybe Storitsyn, um, he wasn't really a very charismatic, open man. He was very much a general, very, very strict reg- regiment that he performed. But he, he, according to contemporary press box goers of the Spartak insiders and so on, he, he had a very commanding aura about him, just immediate respect. I remember um, Rabina telling a story that when he would walk in the press room, everyone would just go silent. It was just kind of like a judge walking into court sort of thing. Like, this is my court, weirdly enough. And Vittoria is just the total opposite. You, you literally, literally watch his press conferences or you listen to his interviews and halfway through, you either completely forgot about what the first half of what he said was or you've just left. You just completely switched off. <laughs> he's just he's like the Russia he's like yeah. the, the the Portuguese Steve Bruce in that aspect. And you can tell <laughs> the the players just aren't getting getting it. I mean, obviously Tedesco spoke a little bit of Russian. I, I mean when I say a little bit, I mean a little bit, like very, very little. So it's not a language barrier. The majority of the players there can speak some form of another language. He's got foreign assistance in for the reason of helping translation issues. So, and I have seen that suggested throughout the Spartak um, fanatic.ru website uh, on the forums and there, there was a couple of Spartak fans who were saying, oh, maybe it's translation issues. It's like, well, what about the last 400 foreign managers they've had who have done far better than him? I remember, I think Alexi, our resident stats man, he said that I think it's the second worst start by a Spartak manager in, in the history of the club. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. He's a dead man walking without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I'm not surprised Corfrey made that Corfrey made that mistake. I remember when I discussed him with this Belgian journalist after the signing, or ahead of the signing, when we heard about it, <laughs> and he was saying that it was just more so sheer surprise when he was at St. Trude and he was a calamity, and he wondered if his agent knew somebody at Spartak because he's just not good enough. For that level, um, for any level of an, any club who have got European aspirations, so an absolute disastrous transfer window in the summer has just had a knock-on effect now to where they're going to limp their way out of Europe and then sack the manager, according to these reports. I loved it when Alexi again shared that in our chat, and just the general response was just. A bunch of people who were just totally baffled by why they would why they would agree to that whatsoever, just absolutely ridiculous. But any any word in Cisco though, Richard? Um, obviously an impressive win, and Berlusinski yeah. is doing better than Olic as well with with less experience. So. Yeah, just one last thing on um, Sparta. It's definitely not a translation issue because you know Vittorio's worked in Saudi Arabia and, and the de facto language. When you're working outside of the big leagues, I think, you know, in places like Greece, Turkey, Ukraine, Russia, you know, Israel, Serbia, all these kind of like middling leagues, you know, even possibly even Austria and, and Switzerland in some cases, the de facto language of communication is English. You know, you're bound to know yeah. a little bit at least, you know, to converse with people and stuff. And also the, um, some of the squad can speak Portuguese, like Ayrton. So yeah, I definitely don't think it's down to communication issues. I just think, yeah, his time at Spartak has just been a real letdown. I was expecting more. I wasn't expect, you know, we give him a chance when he came in, but you know, it's just evidently not working. And I think, 
it's only a matter of time. Um, but yeah, on Siska, I think they've they've stabilised a little bit under Berezutsky. Um Again, we still didn't think it was brilliant when it was announced. I would have liked to have seen Siska try something, you know, from abroad, try something different. But yeah, he, he's he's doing okay, doing definitely as you said, better Norwich. Um, and yeah, again, I think it's just um, a case of just giving this. I think this season's just a transitional season for Siska. See how he does if he gets you and, and you know make a decision on whether or not you're going to continue with him next season at the end of the season. It's de- he's definitely worth giving a full season to this year. Siska and they sold uh, Vlasic. They obviously you know they they sold Vlasic and Maradashvili, so it's definitely a year where they're trying to repair the damage done by. Um, by Goncharenko, I was reading. Um, I listened to a Spanish Segunda Division podcast recently, and uh, apparently, Gaij got sent off for Huesca. So, um, <laughs> with every passing day, any chance of recuperating any transfer fee from that disastrous signing just disappears. Um, but yeah, it's just a case of I think before they decide on, you know, decide on who who takes them forward beyond this season, I think it's worth giving Burazutsky a season because he's doing all right so far, like I said, better than Norwich. Um, and yeah, um, still don't har- harbour anything brilliant from them this season, but, you know, at least it's um, a little bit of stability and um, better than better than the, than his um, than his um, predecessor. So, yeah, um, not too bad from Cisco. <laughs> I can fear if was on, on top form again. I mean, Spartak didn't necessarily... Trouble him hugely, but it's just great to see that he is, what, at the age of 35 now and still probably the best goalkeeper in Russia. Um, but we'll move on now to the away from domestic affairs and to uh, league domestic affairs and to the national team squad. Uh, Valery Karpin announced a larger than usual 34 man Russia squad for the upcoming international games that probably will be trimmed down before or has to be trimmed down. Uh, sorry, before the before the games themselves, uh, to quickly go through the side, um, five goalkeepers: Guillem, Jupin, Safanov, Krysiuk, and Luniov. Defenders of Zhikia, Kalavayev, Makayev, Sutomin, Samoshnikov, Deveev, Osipenka, Terechov, Chistyakov, and Kudryashov. Midfielders: Golovin, Kuzyaev, Mukin, Yerokin, Glushikov, Fomin, Zaharian, uh, Zemaletinov. Maranchuk, Yonov, Bakayev, Makarov, Baranov, and Zinkovsky. And the five forwards are Smolov, Chukavin, Zabolotny, Dzuba, and Gamid Agalarov. To quickly, before we go on to a little bit of analysis of that, to quickly mention uh, Artyom Zuba, as I had said earlier, has turned down the call-up due to, what was it, fitness issues, uh, the exact term, I think it was. Um, there are seven uncapped players or six uncapped players uh, seven seven thank you Yuri Chupin Sergei Terakov Tanis Makarov Anton Zinkovsky Gamid Lagalarov and Makayev and thank you I, I, knew, I knew I'd forget the last two I did this exactly the same thing earlier um, but David what do you think of the squad in general um, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit worried but I can also see what he's trying to do, and I'm I'm glad he's experimenting with some players, calling up lots of uncapped names. But at the same time, it does kind of smack that this is just the sign of a man who has no idea what he's doing. I think calling up seven goalkeepers and two international squads is a bit worrying. Uh, yeah, I mean the goalkeeper thing is it's a bit odd. 
but uh, everything we've heard is that it's it's Kafanov or Kafanov, however we want to want to say his name, who's uh who's in charge of the goalkeepers, um, which is worrying in itself. I mean, it's, it was worrying enough that they called up five goalkeepers and played Guillermo in all three games last time, um, <laughs> because he's not the best goalkeeper available to Russia at, at this point. You know, I would contest that of the seven who have been called up, obviously Maximenko and. Uh, Pesyakov are the two that weren't called up this time. I would, I would contest that of the seven who have been called up, at least three of them are better than Guillermo. Um, so, you know, but that's just how it, how it goes. Um, so I'll, I'll excuse him on the goalkeepers. The 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 bulk of the squad is is fairly similar uh, to what he what he called up last time. Uh, you know, Cheryshev dropped out, but he didn't really feature much in in the last international break. Um. And obviously, a bit of bit of experimentation for some some form players, you know, guys who are in some good form domestically, uh, who have yet to yet to uh, you know get their first caps. Obviously, Makarov waited and was with the squad throughout the Euros, but never played. Um, Makayev being given a chance to to go after his good start yeah, in the defence for for Lokomotiv this season. Uh, obviously, can play in midfield, but I suspect he'll be used in defence because of the depth that we have in midfield and for the Russian national team. Um, Zinkovsky, just as a as a sort of wild card, I imagine he's he's one of those guys. He he's not as good as some of the other, you know, Eurojukes or Kravitskelias, definitely. Um, but he still has that, you know, incredibly good technical level. Um, but his decision making is definitely not as good as as those guys. <laughs> And then theirs aren't great at the best of times. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I'd expect Zinke probably would be one of those who, who may well drop out. Um, you know, Glushikov, we, we talked about it a little bit off off air beforehand. Um, you know, he is in good form. He scored, like, at least four or five goals this season. Um, he obviously, he's... I, I had a quick look. He's got 57 caps so far. But... Um, you know the the Russian midfield positions are there. Are so much so much depth available. You know Siska, right? And Mukin is in the squad from Siska. Um, but there's two other good, very good Russian midfielders at, at Siska in Obyakov and Akhmetov, who aren't being called up. Uh, both of them have had call ups in the past. Akhmetov certainly has a couple of caps. I think even Obyakov got capped once or twice. Um. You know, for for a guy who has been calling up some younger players, it was slightly disappointing to see that. But we obviously know that Carbin has that Spartak relationship in the past, and therefore I assume has a fairly good relationship with with Gulshakov, and therefore has given him given him the nod to to come again. Um, you know, I, I think Avmiatov especially has had a very good season. He's been playing in this more advanced role with with Siska having Zabolotny. Um, as their focal point, Chal obviously has been deployed a little bit wider. Um, and Akhmetov's, on occasion, I've noticed him being played as one of the wider players or, or um, you know, the most advanced midfielders. Um, and uh, I think he's had a really good season. So, yeah, a little bit disappointing there. Um, but I'm not, yeah, other than other than Glushakov, and, you know, I won't touch this, say much about the goalkeepers, I'm, I'm not too... Upset about the squad. I was very pleased to see Agalarov in there. You know, rewarded for his form. Eight goals in in uh, what eight games? Or I think he's only played seven games. 
but uh, in eight goals this season in the league. Plus, he scored uh, a couple, at least two goals for, for the under twenty ones, and has a couple of assists. It's just just some very good form, and that's what you you sort of want to see. You know, players who are in form deserve a chance, even if they're just going to go to the training camp and let the coaches have a look at them. It'll be his chance, and if he doesn't get the final squad, I'm sure he'll just drop into the under twenty ones. Um, I actually don't know who, who Russia have got in these next squads, the next fixtures. I think Slovenia is one of them, isn't it? So they're two, they're two tough games. You know, they're, Russia lost to Slovakia before in, in their reverse fixture. They beat Slovenia. But they're both fixtures where you wouldn't put might you wouldn't put a hefty amount of money on Russia winning because you couldn't say for certain that they're, they're the favourite. Um, it, it's all going to depend on what Russia turns up on the day. Um, you know, Slovakia and Slovenia both got very good high-level players amongst their squad, which you know the depth is probably not uh, quite as strong. Slovenia but we know that their teams qualify for tournaments on a regular basis, so. You know, they're, they're going to be tough fixtures. These aren't go- these aren't games where you can I can imagine Russia taking risks and, and giving debuts to you know, unless Russia are desperately chasing the goal and Agalarov's on the bench. I can't imagine him actually playing either of these two games unless he really impresses them and they decide they can do something with him. Um, you know that, that none of the other strikers can offer. But with Smolov's in there, who's also obviously in, in good form, you know it would be hard for him to play. Um, so I think while he's called up some others, I think he'll be very low risk because these are two yeah. important games for their for their qualification uh, desires. Russia also did actually lose against Slovakia in Spain. Yeah, yeah, Spain. yeah. They lost that one. Yeah, with a uh, good old Robert Mack making a having a man of the match performance and, and getting the the winning goal as well after after Mario had just. Just equalised it. And on Mario Fernandez, since we last recorded, he has officially retired from the national team, um, presumably due to uh, injuries building up when playing for the national team. And he's decided just to focus on his Siska career. So best of luck to Mario in his retirement and hopefully he can get over some of the injury issues which have plagued him in recent times. But I agree, I think... It, it's a weird squad because I, I do get major red flags from the scattergun approach that Carpen has. I think the fact that he doesn't even take charge of who picks his goalkeepers is really weird. I, I understand that the goalkeeping position is so specialist and so separate. I think there's that famous Michael Calvin book, or is it the Jonathan Wilson book called The Outsider, where it's it's all about how goalkeepers have a different mentality as well as different role on the pitch. So I understand that yes, it's a very specialist position, but he's the man. He's the national coach of the national team. He needs to take charge. He needs to stamp his authority, even if he is only there for a year. If those rumours that we saw in the press are true, that he is very much a stopgap for the moment until a more attractive option becomes available further down the line. Um, nevertheless, he's left Rostov to take over national team duties and put his ha- his name in the hat to be the man to take over. It's just very bizarre, and I feel he should be putting full of th- full authority with, on, on the side. Um, 
but having said that, there are like you say, like you've said, lots of young, young and promising options, and it's good to see Smolov in in such good form again. Obviously, if Zuba has with Zuba pulling out, we'll need that experienced striker. Um, obviously, scored against Malta and and played in two of the last two of the three games in the last break, so a little bit auspicious in terms of potential selection after a bleak Euros, and that can only be good for Carpin because he's got nothing to lose. So we'll we will be covering the games more um obviously when they happen in the weeks after the pod. Uh, the pods after the, the the international week. Uh it's a bit weird because it feels like we've just had an international week and all of a sudden we're talking about international games again. And uh, this needs changed. This really does need changed. Why they I, I think you've mentioned it before yourself, Richard as well. Why they have all of these these spates of international games at this time of year is just it's just ridiculous. Twisted have them all in one batch, wouldn't you? Like October just for two and a half, two and a half, three weeks, just have one break in a season rather than breaking September, breaking October, breaking November, just kills the flow of the club season. And we've already just had a major international tournament or two in the summer with the Copa America and the Euros. So yeah, I I think it needs changing too, but fortunately <laughs> UEFA FIFA just don't seem to want to do it, so yeah, certainly. It's it would be ideal for Russia as well if something like that happened in December. Obviously, UEFA and FIFA don't just decide what's best for Russia, but Russia would benefit from that. Players go off, have two to three weeks with the national team before Christmas. Obviously, for those who may not be aware, Christmas in Russia is in January, um, and then have their months off. It, it would be no, no loss to the clubs whatsoever. But that 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 could be a potential compromise. But at the same time, that that particular time period is arguably one of the most hectic for the rest of of Europe, and particularly in Western Europe. So something unworkable there. But it, I think it does need to change in the future. Um, and with that, that's we're coming towards the end of this this week's pod. We only we do have less topics than usual because we wanted to go a little bit more in depth than the actual football, rather than some more altruistic or out there topics uh, midweek there has been a spate of Russian Cup games as I said at the start um, unfortunately because they are broadcast on Telesport in Russia uh, nowhere streams them, nowhere shows them on any form of other service and Telesport is incredibly difficult to get outside of Russia so to quickly go through some score lines, uh, Krilia defeated uh, Zanamia Naginsk 10-0, um, Zanamia of course the Non-league sides who, where is the home of some former Russian veterans, uh, Renat Yanbaev, Roman Shishkin, Alexander Rizhikov, and most famously Roman Pavlyuchenko. Uh, Krasnodar beat Leningradets two 0 Kimki drew with Kiransk. Uh, Arsenal slaughtered Dynamo Bryansk six six one. Uh, Dynamo Moscow beat Dynamo Stavropol six nil. Uh, Chaika now with the Finnair L two beat Rostov one nil. Uh, one of very few, one of only two was it, David? RPL sides to lose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarans beat Himki on penalties. Yeah, thank you. That was it. I forgot. I forgot those penalties. Uh, Siska beat Zenitishevsk four 0 and Ural beat defeated Torpedo Vladimir two 0 And to quickly end this week's pod, um, unfortunately, it's a little bit more of a somber and sadder note. Um, I don't know how how many is aware of, but I presume many have heard the news 
that has emerged from Perm in the last few weeks. Um, unfortunately, there's been a, a shooting at the Perm State University. So all of us at RFN, uh, all of our thoughts do go out with those and the families of those who lost their lives in at Perm State University and hope all the best for, for their families in, a, in what was a, a tragic incident. Um, and on, on that, I think it would probably be a, be best to to end the pod. So we'll be back next week at the usual time with the usual spate of fixtures covering all of the RPL games. But this has been the Russian Football News Podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его удар Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечок Здесь нужны тренировка и воля Быстрота, увлечение, расчет